Hi guys, welcome back to Not Yet Famous. I'm Sophia. Um, Katie was just here, but she had to leave to head to work because oh, yeah. we all have day jobs. Because, um, somebody, because was somebody was because a little late. I met her and she was lovely you. and I think, you know, I wish she was here. That lovely person talking right now is Leticia de Bertoli. Can nice. you say it, say it to me in the real Portuguese? Deal? Leticia yes. de Bertoli. That's but you can that. go. That's the Bertoli. Great. Isn't that a pasta sauce brand doesn't matter so leticia is a director a writer an editor for film and television i know leticia because she was the director and co-writer for queering which is a web series that we just finished filming the second season i cast you <laughs> she's also a casting director <laughs> so leticia we filmed the first season of Queering in May, and she had it out within a month, and we just finished the second season, and that'll be out by on December 20th, just episode one. It's yeah. not a full release. So that's one of that's the big project that we know each other from. But Leticia, what's your origin story? Like where did you start editing and and I guess, you know, we'll get to what inspired queering and stuff, but what started your whole journey to get to where you are now? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's long. Let me think. I think it started specifically being an editor when I went to film school, when I started studying this and people were very highly specialized in choosing what they wanted to do. You want me to speak up? No, you're good. So people would choose what was going to be their area, even though you have to study and kind of learn everything. It would be like, oh, I'm leaning towards cinematography. I actually thought that would be my case, my least. I was always like, oh, I don't want to take any directing classes. I don't want to interact with actors. And that's not and also I didn't want to write because I was very embarrassed of writing or having to like read or bring your stuff because you had to bring pages and stuff. And I was kind of forced to do it by the process of the school. You had to at least do it one time or take one class. And then I could, that was my favorite part of all. Like I, I start writing and I, I didn't care for one time. I was like, oh, God, I'm going to write this and I'm going to bring it to the class. It's going to be super embarrassing. Everybody's going to judge me and fuck it. And then after this one moment, I didn't give a shit anymore. I was like, oh, this is actually extremely therapeutical and enjoyable. I don't know. I felt right doing it. I was able to get into a groove and write a bunch of things and do it for a very long time. So then I started focusing more on that. And with the directing part, I had to take acting classes. And that's why I didn't want to do it because I I wanted to avoid that. (laughs) But when I started doing it, I, I started really enjoying the process of collaborating with actors and getting two things together and trying to understand a little better how I guess before I didn't really understand what actors really did or I I was like oh it's some some sort of something crazy or they just do it or they're just natural on camera and that's the skill I didn't really understand everything that's part of it and when I did understand I was very fascinated by it and I wanted to to work more and one of my favorite parts today is working with actors actually and having things come out of working together instead of being thinking in my head oh this should happen this should happen mm-hmm. this should happen so that was the beginning i wanted to focus and do more of that but as a paying job at the time and honestly even today that the technical stuff is where you can get more money and, and all the time you're always going to have jobs if you're doing camera or if you're an ac or if you're an editor if you're a sound mixer like people mm-hmm. need that and they won't say oh can you do it for the art they have to pay right 
So then I started digging into the technical aspects of things because one, I wanted to learn. Second, for my own stuff, I didn't want to have to pay somebody to do it because that would save me money. And I was able to work. I was making money doing that. So it was more of a very logistical decision. It wasn't that I was like, oh my God. And then as things go, editing became the thing that I thought I was the best at doing it. So I kind of pushed that one a little further. Currently, today my job, I'm able to write some stuff. I shoot everything and edit and do color. We all kind of, one person does it all. So it's cool because I can always be practicing and learning. And when I'm not doing it, like querying, I have a DP, but it's any other projects which I prefer having it. But you are always able to almost speak the same language that everybody speaks, which I think is probably the main challenge of director's mm-hmm. job. So it's it's a helpful thing for it for that. Sorry, am I speaking too much? No, that yeah. was great. So why do you think, because you mentioned that you know, this is true, sound mixers and editors and any technical thing, they get paid for it, which, you know, you need training for that. And, but we also get training as actors. So why do you think that the artists, you know, I think they're, they're all artists, everyone, you know, a DP has a specific eye and, and actors have their training, but why aren't the actors getting paid the way that the technical aspect is getting paid well it's a fucked up thing but i think the actors or directors or writers what happened to to us or to this type of jobs is that people that do not have training can claim they 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 do that and even though they don't like anybody that is literal how to say when you know how to write literary oh oh, literate literate yeah he can sit down and write something and say this is a script and i'm a mm-hmm. writer anybody can walk in and say yeah i'm an actor i'm gonna drop the line mm-hmm. your lack of technical skill is easier to be hidden or to be overlooked i think when you're like if you want to pretend you're a sound mixer you can't mm-hmm. because how are you even going to deal with the equipment you can't even turn it on how are you going to pretend you're a dp you can't just everybody's going to know in three seconds that you have no idea what you're doing. While I think the other things, like, you can say, I mean, I still see that a lot. Some people are still in film school or not even, they kind of like this and they're studying and they're like, yeah, I'm a director. Mm. But it's like, are you able to, like, run a set and come down with something cohesive. It's so complicated. It takes so long to be able to remotely do this well or even have an idea what you're doing. But it's super easy to claim that you that you know how to do it because it's not like somebody's then going to put, put a piece of equipment in front of you mm-hmm. and say, you either know how to press these buttons or you don't. But you could say that we do in a way because we still have the audition process, which is sort of the way of being yeah, like, but- can this person do what I'm asking yeah. them to do? And I think it's the same, you know, if a sound mixer came in and was like, yeah, I'm a sound mixer. That's true. If actors they still there have that, but you can always get this mix of the director who really is not know what they're doing or it's not really a director, somebody who's trying this for the first time. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're doing that job. Right. You are sitting on the role of the director. That doesn't mean you're a director. Mm-hmm. So if that person will cast anybody that walks in and can speak and can be maybe natural in front of a camera. Or not even that. Mm. So that I think it creates this whole idea of it's hard to to separate pretty easily who does what. So then you would think, oh, why would I pay Sophia, somebody who has a small budget or whatever, why would I pay Sophia day rate if Jenny, my cousin, will do it for free? Mm-hmm. And then they mm-hmm. won't see the difference between what 
you two are delivering, which then brings back to that director also doesn't know what they are doing because they can't see that. Right. So it's like, I think it's because of the nature of our jobs and because they are all kind of connected, mm-hmm. we, we cause the problem and then we have it to is, live with it. It's very um, circular. Like it yeah. all comes back around. And the, the writing is the same thing. There's a lot of writer directors, which is, I think is a really cool thing, but if you write and you're the one that evaluates what you wrote and then you're the one who's going to direct it, it's this whole loop of just you. So you can easily say, yeah, I'm great. <laughs> and then right. you you don't, it's not like it's, that's why it's very different when money comes into the equation because you have to be like, you, you have to be able to have a script which is extremely like, it's not a very objective thing, right? It's super subjective. How this is going to look like, how this is going to translate, mm. what's the director going to do? You have to make this extremely artistic p- pitch and story-oriented and say, and this will bring you money. Mm. Like, this is such a hard connection to do or such a... It's hard to make people go on board of that. So I think that's why it's hard to make money, like real money, as a director because people are betting too much on you, mm-hmm. on your idea. You, you have to be proven... I understand, in a way, because how... a, a mon- any, any production, small or big, like a real production union jobs, everything, like lawyers, everything you have to have, is extremely expensive. Every set day mm-hmm. is super, super expensive. So if you have a director that you don't know extremely well, like... If you, it is if a you, lot of it's yeah, word of mouth. Yeah, if you think that this person can't handle pressure, let's say, mm-hmm. you don't... How do you know? You don't, right? But mm-hmm. let's... It's extremely stressful to be on a set, big or small. And if somebody can't handle stress and they're going to have a mental breakdown that makes us go one day late, that is so much money for who's this is a business for people it's okay it's a business that involves art but it's a business Mm -hmm. so i'm putting a hundred grand every single day on this because i want to make money at the end so if this person has a mental breakdown or if they are Mm. inappropriate with an actor or if they actually have no fucking clue what they're doing and the whole crew turns against them people will be losing so much money and this is betting on this one person because the majority of the other people you can replace or you're just already going to get this DP that the director always works with, anyways. Well, that's why it makes... I never thought of it like that because it makes so much sense why it is so difficult to break into this oh, industry. Oh, yeah, they have to be 100%. Because money is everything. Yeah, money is always on the line. And even if we can think out, oh, but this is a small indie production. A small indie production costs at least a million dollars. That's a lot of money. Mm. And it's also those movies that probably won't make that money back. Mm-hmm. So it's even more on the line because th- this person who is betting on you is also trying something different. They're, they're doing this really risky investment. So it's crazy. You're literally signing a check to another person saying, you're going to do something that I can't see it. And all I know is what you're telling me. And I believe that, that mm-hmm. that's going to work, that that's going to be great. And audiences will watch and engage and it's just, it's a really big leap of faith on so somebody else. So who are these people? Are these people who just have, like, <clears throat> loads of amount of money and they're like, yeah, this seems like a project that could mean something really deep to somebody, like Moonlight, or was it Moonlight? Is that yeah, Moonlight. Called? Yeah. Um, Moonlight was, yeah. Like, that yeah. was a lower, very I mean, low, a lower yeah. budget. Lower, it was like a million, still, yeah. it's still like a million dollars. But, you know, I'm just, like, where, and I just, it, I can't even fathom in my mind where if I wanted a project done or, you know, like we both know Sam Spellman and I don't know if you've ever read any of her scripts. She's a writer first and foremost and is an incredible writer. But thinking about, you know, where I would go to get money for a script like that, 
I, I don't know. It would have to be through a connection. Yeah, I think production companies in general, that's how they make money, right? They will find a project, mm -hmm. but that's the thing. They will find a project and make that happen and, and resell it. It's basically they buy an unfinished house, they finish this house and resell it to somebody else. So if you are buying this unfinished house from somebody that you have no idea what's their background and you have no idea if they're an engineer or if they just decided to put shit together and later on this house is going to collapse, it's your fault. It's a liability to you. So to them, it makes much more sense to be like, I have this 10 people that are always delivering good stuff or that I know that I can trust. And that's why nobody takes unsolicited project there's all the legal stuff but it's also like it's such a big gamble you have to win someone's trust on, on the fact that your work will sell before there is even a conversation mm. that's why proofing of concept is so important and so let's say you have a script of an unknown writer that never delivered anything that was like made the connection of the audience and became because it is really hard like it's not an easy thing you're not going to write a script Maybe I'm being a bitch, I don't know. But you're not going to sit down, write a script overnight, and this is it. This is going to be... It's really hard to write a good script. It's extremely hard. There's years for people to sometimes write a piece mm -hmm. of script, right? So I think who's doing this for a long time? Sometimes the people with the money are the villains of the story. And I think they are just business people, and they are thinking about what's the best for their business. Right. That makes sense. So, it's an investment. Yes. You can't... You can say, oh, but my friend's great. Why Why won't they do my friend's script? Or my script is great. Why don't they pay attention? They don't know you. They know nothing about you. And even though you may be, you're great. But if you can't figure out how to get to them, it's one more proof to them that you don't have your shit together yet. So how... What would you tell people that are trying to get to them? Like, how... <clears throat> so I guess... There's that question, which will lead me into, like, how did you get to be involved with your marketing company? Because you're from Brazil yes. originally, so now, and now you live in Boston. So how did you get from Brazil to here and then being involved in all these marketing companies and editing and, and probably having some higher connections? Yes. So in Brazil, I went to film school, finished, started working, trying to do jobs from any possible freelancing set jobs that could be from PA to art director assistant, which I just did once and did really badly and was never hired to do it again. <laughs> and um, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Oh, yeah. That's definitely not my strength. Uh, but then learning and doing stuff and trying to do my own things, trying to do uh, short films and projects. And But it's it, in Brazil, I always thought there was a bigger, like, the, the gap to bridge to work on the, with production in general is more complicated. Pay was worse, like it's the less valuable, valued profession in general. Mm -hmm. So I went to Argentina first to study screenwriting there because I always kind of had this, I still think it's very interesting how people um, change how they write for storytelling when the language changes mm -hmm. because it does. So I wanted to kind of explore having the opportunity to learn in, in different languages that I could speak so I could learn that the variation. And I really like Argentinian film as well. So it was really cool experience abroad. And then I wanted to come here. Obviously, 80% of my background of films that I love, their watch was were done here somehow or with the sort of the main industries happening, I guess. So I came here as like a exchange student working as a nanny and like trying to 
figured out working as a nanny. I worked as a nanny for a very long time. I'm still friends with my kids, but now they're adults. So you went to school here as well? I did some, like, assort classes on. Gotcha. I did screenwriting at Emerson in, in Boston. Uh, Harvard has, like, a... It's not really... I don't know what they call it, screenwriting program or something. Okay. But it's, it's a very short class. It's not like enrolling in college or anything like that. But I did all those small classes that I could find out. Oh, this is a study camp class. I'll take it in Maine. Or like all those things that I could find to collect um, knowledge that could be helpful to me. And again, same path that I started in Brazil. I started here. I was working as a nanny, but I was also doing production jobs. I go on Craigslist and see a weird... <laughs> short film I was like sure I need to meet people I don't know anybody so I would do I did a lot of weird things yeah but <laughs> uh, so then from that I start doing a lot of things with some people that study at Berkeley in Boston mm-hmm. the music school so they had a lot of jazz recording sections and they wanted somebody to be able to shoot at it and do that so then I start doing that oh actually when I was a nanny I started doing videos little mini documentaries of the kids hmm. and sell it to the families. So actually, that's when I started making money. You buy sell it from- to the families? Yeah. I'll, I did it once and then everybody's like, this is cool. <laughs> I want it too. And then evolved to the to this mini documentary of the matriarchs of the families. So mm-hmm. I would interview them, then intercut with some B-roll, you know, like with that more cinematic. Mm. And they loved it, and I could charge them some more decent money than than nanny. And then I was able to buy some equipment and then start doing, Hmm. like, more more freelance jobs. So then Berkeley was the next step. I did a lot of stuff there and met some people from um, Madrid in Mexico and started working with them, some gigs for Univision. So I started to do bigger freelance gigs or be involved in, in more stuff like that. But I was like, to do my own projects, that's, I feel like, a thing that I didn't think of and I think a lot of people don't think of when you decide to, I want to be an actor, a director, a writer, all those jobs that you don't get. It's not like a traditional career path, so it's not like you're going to go for a job, get a job, and then you get paid, and then you're secured financially, and then you're good. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to do... A side hustle you need to make money if you're not like being somebody's not providing for you you need to figure out your your income and how you make money so freelancing was like hustle you you go it was a harder i didn't ever think that i was able to save money to invest in my own projects with freelancing because you make money here but then you don't work for a month and then you work a lot three months it's like a crazier mm-hmm. financial situation which could work and it worked from then, but I would start to look for a place that I could have a more stable job, stable, full time, better paying job that I could have flexibility, just looking what was possible. And that's when I came across with HubSpot. They were looking for somebody. I just applied. There was no crazy connection or anything. I just. You just applied. And, yeah. and did you have like, um, did they ask you for your videos or see yeah, what you Well, the your, application your was work? the portfolio. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, I think they were looking to do more narrative content, actually, and, and, and things like that at the time. So did you show them, like, the videos you were making of the parents and the kids? Yeah, this like is the, this was... At this time, I have I had a portfolio. I had done a short film. So at this time, when I was a nanny, I did a short film with my roommate at the time, in my bathroom, because that was our location. That ended up doing well 
in some festivals or small festivals that help me meet more people and do more projects. So my Vimeo, even today, it's a mess. It has short films, music videos, stuff for, for social media. I just throw everything in there. So that's what they had access. And then that's how I started working there. And HubSpot um, is a marketing company. Yes. What do they work on like solely? Because you said right now that's they're starting the to work on documentaries. Well, is a company that sells a variety of softwares to business to all sorts of businesses. Sounds like a pitch. So, yeah. Way you're doing this. They will sell for sales. They started very marketing oriented. Now they have services and sales. It's a very it's a it's a big company. It's a big operation. Right. My specifically I work in a small part of this operation which is marketing and brand and, and creating content in general that's not to sell products or anything like that. It's just providing value content with value for our audience so let's say if we deal a lot with business owners or people that want to have businesses and things like that we think about content that would resonate with these people but also be entertaining like go interview uh founders of companies that we admire and see how they started and, and then have that as more like a documentary or something like that and or anything like that or experimenting and trying to find what's that gonna look like hmm but if we do, we did fascinating. things like parodies of... Them. Like those Comedy Central parodies yeah, like things. Yeah, like the and... Working Dad, we did some stuff like that. When there was the Walking Dad release, we would do... We tried that last year. And then we'd have if Rick Grimes from the Walking Dead was your manager. And then we'd do a little <laughs> sketch on that. Yeah. Or, or if Barb from Stranger Things was working in the office and she was always being excluded. You know, those... Oh, <laughs> but it was it's great because there was a lot of room to explore and figure out how this content's gonna look like and in a way it's gives me opportunity to still write direct it's just mm -hmm. the only things that i have to do everything so speaking of writing and directing let's talk a little bit about queering queering is a web series that you can find on youtube season one is available we are going to release season two soon and that's it Great. Do you want to tell them what it's about? <laughs> sure. Querying is the story of querying. It's about a lesbian woman living in New York, dealing with her own life. And then she ha suddenly has... Wait, let me do this better. Querying. <laughs> I have to read my I'm synopsis. Let me read my synopsis. You're going to read your own synopsis uh -huh. of the story that you I don't wrote. remember what querying is about. No, seriously. Great. It's about... Uh, young lesbian woman living in New York and she has to deal with her mom later in life coming out as a bisexual really publicly on the internet and brings up a lot of issues on the LGBT community against bisexual people and in, in uh, prejudice that we have inside of our little community sometimes. Mm -hmm. Also we deal with coming out later in life which is always mm -hmm. a topic that I found very interesting and that's where the inspiration came from for queering because my mom came to visit me. My mom's really mad that I'm telling this everywhere I go. And when I was <laughs> I at a film festival so in Rio, <laughs> they were doing a live stream and asking me this. And I'm like, oh, my mom's not watching this. And she sent me a text like, <laughs> <laughs> like how dare you? <laughs> so she came to visit me and she's very like, um, how do I say this? Very not uptight, but she's very uh, conservative. Kind of conservative, yeah. Conservative, Catholic, Italian family. Yeah. So yes. let's say weed is a bad thing. Never is like from you go to jail if you touch it, right? <laughs> so 
she comes to visit me. She's like now in her 60s and she wants to smoke weed. She never smoked weed and she wants to try to smoke weed. And I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. This person, it's it, like, it was shocking to me, but it was interesting to kind of assess the situation and think about how we live in a time today where once it's, this depends where you live geographically, but it is much easier in general to accept yourself as queer, to see yourself represented, to even come out sometimes. It's easier to, it's not a huge problem to be a woman and want to work and having that, we have more the sensation of freedom, I think. I think we always kind of had it. We didn't do this transition. I think my mom's generation lived the transition of you can't do anything mm -hmm. or you're trapped in this little box. And then she sees the you next generation. roles that you exactly. are into. Yeah. And then she sees that, like, to, to them, right, working was a big deal. Having that, that was the, the complex, like, oh, no, I'm leaving the family now, I'm working. And then she, they kind of had the VIP seat to see the next generation having mm -hmm. all this access to this freedom and uh, in, in the way of living that they didn't have. So I, I find that really fascinating, actually. And, and... I can only imagine, because I keep thinking, if my mom was queer, she would have such a different experience than I did, even mm -hmm. though we're in this very similar community and we're raising with the same values of Catholic and like conservative family. But obviously, it would be much harder on her. would be possible. She would never come out. I don't even know what would happen. So it, it made me think about, what if you are queer and you lost, like when you were on your 20s, which technically seemed to be the time to come out because you want to have mm -hmm. sex with a lot of people. <laughs> You want to today <laughs> I mean, and explore. Wrong. Yeah, 20s is definitely the exploring so age. So you couldn't do that because the, the times didn't allow you. And now mm -hmm. you're 60 and you're like, well. at well, that time you'd be married and have three kids yeah. by like 20. So you're like, it feels like you missed it. You, you're not mm -hmm. at the right time. But you're still, you're here. You're alive. You can do things. And you're experiencing this time of possibilities and, and freedom that you didn't before. I'm rambling so much about that. No, but that's what she so means that... the core of querying is to, to think about that. And it was coming specifically from my mom. Just seeing her... Kind of the consequences. It's, it is kind of her consequences of, of embracing this freedom, at least in querying's case, when the mom sort of tells her daughter. And yeah. then the reaction of that is not... You know, you would think that a gen our generation would be so much more open to something like that and exploring the relationship yeah. between a parent and their child. And exactly. And with my mom, I'm a super progressive person. I would never tell anybody to no smoke way. weed. Or, but my immediate reaction, my instinctive reaction was to be, what? No. What are you? What? No. You can't. Or something like that. It's not what I actually did, but this was my instinctive reaction, which I was also thought was interesting. I was like, that's so weird how we don't often don't see our parents as people exploring mm -hmm. and discovering and dealing with shit. Nobody wants to think, like the most classic thing, right? Nobody wants to think about their parents having sex. Mm -hmm. Yes, somehow it's weird, but they do. They mm -hmm. are people. They have a sexual attraction and desire. We don't know that part of their life. It's like this private we see, little... What we see as a child is like, okay, they feed me, they take exactly, care of me, they exactly, do this thing, exactly. and then for you... And I'm allowed now to go out and do whatever I want to do. And still have that comfort of going yeah. back to them. But really, they just have an extra baggage. <laughs> well, is this, is, this is also, yeah, I think when you become an adult and you deal with kids, when you are a kid, you think everything that adult is thinking is you. 
Like mm-hmm. their life, they exist in that moment, you are and then the they disappear. Of their universe. exactly, and yeah. then I think when you're an adult, even working as an nanny, and you're dealing with a kid, and you're like, wow, if I only knew how those adults were thinking about everything else in the world, so much out of this moment, it's just like yeah. so interesting. But anyways, and and I think that for querying specifically, specifically season one, it's to to focus on this. I think there is a moment for most people when they kind of stop and they see their parents as just a person mm-hmm. fucking up and trying to do things and it's a, i think it's a impactful moment in our lives it's not just you're like shit like all this time when i was 12 and i was mad at my mom because for something really dumb yeah because i yeah. missed the last episode of buffy uh <laughs> she's thinking about all this this very She's going to to school. Yeah, but she has her own life. Like, she's dealing maybe with relationship problems that I have Mm -hmm. no fucking idea. Or maybe she's a recovering alcoholic. I don't know. There's all these Mm -hmm. things that you have no idea of their lives. And when everybody's an adult, you kind of have a chance to embrace that Mm -hmm. and and connect deeper with them. Get out of this rose thing. I think a lot of people as adults, I don't know, from my perspective, seem to, once they hit a certain age have that same reaction it's like oh okay yeah. and then they become closer with their parents absolutely that happened to me i was actually not close to my mom due to obviously being queer in a very conservative family it's not something that brings people together <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we always had this barriers between us I, and in this changed everything how old were you when you came out oh i was actually old when i came i mean i was always really queer i mm-hmm. never had a boyfriend i always had this best friends that i would hang out all the time for three months and then never speak with them again and we be like <laughs> then the next friend would come drama. yeah mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm sure my mom always knew but i officially said to her via text message on i was probably 23 okay yeah but it was more of a hidden or don't ask don't tell situation for mm-hmm. a very long time and i think she had a harder time having to expand that to her family to to her Mm. because i was always very public on my social media even though i never made an announcement you go like spend two minutes on on my social media would know Mm. so i think that was hard and all those things i bring back to queerances until we have that situation with Mm -hmm. devon's new storyline and there's a lot about that too because i think she had that struggle of okay it's fine for me right now it's fine I understand. I always knew it's mm-hmm. fine. But now I have to deal with the fact, now that my kid decides to come out, I have to deal with everybody else mm-hmm. in my life that are very conservative. And I have to... It is complicated. I don't know. Sometimes we don't give... I know it sucks when you come out, you want to be embraced and accepted. And that's the fantasy. Mm-hmm. But I think even when you figure out you're gay, we you take some time to be like, wait... Is this really like you you need to digest that normally mm-hmm. i think maybe today not so much today people just say yay this is great but i think you take a yeah. minute to acknowledge this that you are different and that's how how this is going to affect your life when are you going to tell people you have to take it so even when it's with us so that our parents of course or our people that are from other generations they will take time too it mm-hmm. sucks but it's gonna happen so i don't know why i got into this because 
Well, we were just talking about queering and, and sort of the themes that happen and what yeah, inspired uh, yeah, that. And, and all I, of this relates to yeah. what that show is. And, and it has a lot of those themes and struggles that are in everyday life, which is why I think it was, it, it you know, it came out and we hit 1.5 million in four Four months. months. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, queering really resonated with it, people yeah, a lot more than people, I expected. Even the biphobia part, you know, the biphobia. Yeah, but we're attacking a lot of things that people kind of. There were some beautiful care. conversations happening. Like when I was reading some of the comments on the YouTube, yeah, there were just some like you know uh, people that were arguing, but then there were people who were trying to have an actual conversation about yeah. it. Yeah, and it was just I think it just really sparked some beautiful conversation about something that never gets talked about. Yeah, like you don't ever see bisexual yeah you know people say it but you don't ever see it or you don't think of it in a positive way yeah i think that that was also something that people the fact that val is older and the bisexuality i think those two things really resonated with a lot of people that never have that sort of representation Mm -hmm. or even women that are past 40 in general they in screen they are always moms and they are a side plot they don't have a plot they're side characters that Mm -hmm. just move or if they don't have kids they're like a mess they're like exactly they're trying to figure it out yeah so that that was the thing that that works and and even with the whole biphobia thing that's also all a lot of my own experience because i was like that at some point because you i feel like when you're a lesbian or you are in a minority sometimes you have this pattern of mimicking the behavior of who is considered in power. So if the white straight guy treats another group bad to reaffirm themselves, so then when we go back to our spectrum, we then do the same thing. We mimic that to feel in power. Mm-hmm. So we then treat bisexuals bad. Mm-hmm. So then we feel more affirmed as lesbians and feel better. Like mm-hmm. it's a bizarre thing, but I think we do that. We, we mimic that to it feel... It is human nature, assured. I yeah. Think. yeah. So then to, in our case... With women more specifically, I think lesbians tend to be really brutal with bisexuals. Mm. And from all the stereotypical things we say, the jokes, and it's nothing extreme, it's microaggressions, I think Mm -hmm. mostly. But as we know really well, microaggressions are really hurtful. Mm -hmm. And that's always amazes me that we go through this shit and we do it Mm -hmm. to other people. And I'm saying this as like I used to do that and I could easily get myself doing it today and try to stop it but i think queering is yeah it was a good way to kind of deal with that mm-hmm. i was trying to think why do i do that think what's about happening yeah their sort of behavior and why they do that i think yeah. that's important because as harper who's the one of the main characters in queering she you know that whole issue she has in the first season with her ex and or, well, her issues with her mother coming out about yeah. being... Did you already say what she is? Did you know? That... You did that say was bisexual. She, yes. Yeah. I just wasn't... I'm sorry. I said it. You did. Okay. Because that's like the spoiler. Whatever. This is on our synopsis. That's fair. It's already, yeah. it's already out for a while. But the thing about her and Harper's reaction to her and, you know, everyone's like, God, Harper is just so awful about, like, this biphobia and all this stuff. And then her reasoning behind that it really has nothing to do with bisexuality yeah, yeah. or bisexuality. Yeah. It's it's her heart broken from, you know, her ex who ended up being with a man and didn't tell her about it. And it's like that instantly, I think that's human nature. It's not, you know, if, if you step back if like three years from Harper's life, she'd be like, oh, yeah, 
that obviously was just me projecting because I was angry. Yeah. And so I put it on the fact that she then switched over to a man. But yeah. And it's, yeah. It, I think some, it's easier to, I actually thought that Corinne could get an adverse reaction just to be like, oh, you're trying to frame lesbians in a bad light and now we are all mad because <laughs> we, and, and I, I feel like we, we have to be honest, this is real, this happens and should stop happening. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it always gets improved, but um, it's good to get out of that place of the common queer story made by straight people where I focus mm-hmm. only on the married housewife that meets the soccer player from across the street <laughs> and they have this weird sex oh. of hand is in the air and slow. <laughs> I don't it, know what's happening now. <laughs> this is like the classic plot and we can talk about the real our, mm-hmm. our real conflicts. That a lot of my friends who watch Queering and is, are straight, they're like, I had no idea. Yeah, about this oh, thing. That's amazing. They're like, what bisexuals? They didn't even even think about bisexuals. Number one, and second, they're like, we. Had, I have no idea that bisexuals got it's so incredible much incredible. Your own little bubble that you're in. Exactly. I didn't think about a straight person realizing because I'm just like, well, yeah, who doesn't know that? But that's such an ignorant. <laughs> that's response the thing. I think that's cool for to explore for querying at least. A lot of straight people watch querying and like it because there's a lot of universal topics, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, it's funny how they don't know because of what we have. Their way to know more about us a lot of the times is through storytelling in you know mm-hmm. mainstream media. That's that's what happens to a lot of us for a lot of things. But it's amazing how they don't know so much about our small community culture and the mm-hmm. things that happen it's very very interesting they're open to see it they mm-hmm. think it's interesting nobody said oh this sucks everybody was like i want to have i want more dudes that work yeah that into... are straight white straight dudes when i was still about to release query i got some people from work like how oh, do you want to watch it and give me notes and i feel like white straight dudes bros or people that i'm like these guys are gonna watch this and the tell Massachusetts me yeah bros. exactly i love them so and then much. one of them comes to me and say bro you got me a hook as a dog i love very <laughs> i was like wow maybe this is gonna work you got me hooked as a dog <laughs> oh i love massachusetts okay. <laughs> that's amazing so anything that you want to give some final words of like what specific we were talking about, about queer today. people? Just in general, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want to say, um, you know, in regards to the journey of getting into this business or the journey of being a queer. I don't know. Mm, say whatever you want to say. Think. I think specifically about being a filmmaker or a director or writer. I always say that this is a job of failure and that you fail for a long time in front of a lot of people and that's how you learn how to do it so if that doesn't seem appealing to you Mm. if you can't handle that maybe you should think about other positions i I think people have an obsession with being a director because it seems to be the, the the most powerful position on the on the process, which I think it's not. It's just a conductive position, but everybody mm-hmm. else is extremely powerful to the process and needs it's to very collaborate. Important. There's no, there isn't, if there is not, if every piece is not there, there's no process and if there's no process, there's no, you don't have a final result. So everybody's there with full authority, creative and, and bringing their own work together. And the director is just a more conductive position where you 
kind of have to see it before it's there and put those pieces together and be able to communicate with everybody else. I think those are the two parts of the job that are most challenging. But for whatever reason, that feels always the most hyped thing. Like, oh, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to be a director. No question. And I think people should really see if that's what is the best fit for them. Sometimes it's not. And sometimes you have this illusion of glamour or, oh, oh, this is the best position because I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And it's, one, no, you can't do whatever you want because if you're doing whatever you want, you'll probably ruin your story. And maybe you are an excellent costume designer. Maybe you could be a DP. Maybe you should be a lawyer. (laughs) kidding. But there is a lot of things in this business that is extremely creative. It's you do it, it's artistic and creative and you deal with storytelling and people sometimes don't explore as they, they hook on this idea i have to be this mm. and this is what i, I in my head themselves. yeah i envision myself doing this i mean i again started this thinking i want to be a dp i want to be a director of photography because i in my fantasy thought that was the sexiest one i'm gonna be holding a camera and i'm gonna have super muscle arms and you and know julio's over here with like his aching back and it's <laughs> exactly. like guys guys exactly. can we but you know you you create this it's part it's normal we all do this with our professions and what we hope to, to do but this job is really demanding and you can be in love for this. You can be in love with this craft for your whole life. And you, this is never going to love you back. Mm. So it's a really complicated relationship, I think. Sometimes I think it's a very toxic relationship that I want to get out of it. But I don't know if I can at this point. But just be sure what you're doing. Because it's a very draining and the commitment is really big. Mm-hmm. So it's different Huge. than other yeah. things. It's it's. I think it is different than other things. Because even my job... No, I cannot say that. Uh, even when, if you have a regular job of, I don't know, a lawyer, and you're committed to your company, you do your best job, and go to you go home, and then you move on with your life. It's one type of thing. But when you do this, your job is your life, and it's very draining, very committed. Com- very, the commitment is so, so heavy. So I, could, I can't imagine you doing this just because you want because the fantasy of hollywood yeah you have to be like you have to be so sure that you want this because Mm -hmm. times pass and you're even gonna if you're okay with not making a lot of money for a long time yeah little do you know 10 years are gonna go by and you're like you could be really pushing through and try to be better at this and improving which is very hard and takes a lot of toes on you or you can be faking it for a long time, which a lot of people do it, right? You just, you don't want to progress. You're going to keep doing small projects with your friends mm-hmm. and taking pictures and putting social media and not risking trying to move forward, do bigger things or get better at your, like challenge yourself to be better at this. But if you're really doing that, you're kind of beating yourself a little bit. So it's, it's, com- it's, it's hard. I don't know. Well, that. you're just being honest and, and giving a real perspective on... It, it's a lot of work. It's very draining. Not a lot of money. But I think that's why the people who succeed at it are very passionate, emotional people. Because yeah, this is all they can do. And this is what they invest themselves fully in. Yeah, because I every time I'm on set, I'm unsure of a lot of things. I'm not sure if I'm doing something right. I'm not sure if we're going to get somewhere with this. I'm not sure if this is my best work. Or if maybe this was the best decision. But I'm sure I should be there. So I think that at least is what kind of would hold you together. I don't know what's going to happen. I might keep doing this for 10 more years. 
and never have a really successful thing, 10, 20, whatever. And I am completely okay with that because I love the process. Mm -hmm. And it's, but the process screws me over. The process doesn't give me flowers ever, Mm -hmm. but I still don't care. That's why I say it's a toxic relationship. (laughs) But somehow that's, that's what I'm into. So maybe someday it'll love you back. Hopefully. Well, (laughs) Leticia, Thank you for doing this on an sure. early Sunday morning after yes. a late Saturday night. It's okay. I'm not drunk or hungover. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. And where can we find you? I know we can find queering. Oh, my on... address? Yeah. Of my sure. house? Sure. People probably would love to flood your I got a handwritten mailbox. letter from Slovenia about a queering fan sent me. That's so sweet. Yeah. It's cute. Well, okay, but back to where we can find you, um, because right. um, there we go. We can find queering on YouTube. Yeah, we have queering Instagram. web series. Um, it's also on Vimeo, isn't it? Yeah, it's on my Vimeo. and your your work is on Vimeo. So uh, Vimeo, yeah. we will be posting all of those links for people to find if they're curious about her work or if they need an amazing editor. I don't know how they're going to contact you. I, I don't know. Yeah, you gotta have to. They'll do it through us, you guys. If you need, an I'm on Instagram. Editor, you're yeah. on you're on Instagram, yeah. which is through my Instagram, but we'll also have that link. And you guys can find all of our stuff at, on Instagram, not yet famous NYC. Um, if you have any questions about this interview, about any other interview, about wanting to be on the show. Um, you can email us at nyfpodcastnyc at gmail.com. And you can also find all our links um, to any of our personal pages, you know, if you want to contact us through there. And so I'm Sophia and Leticia. Thank you again for being here. Thank you for making coffee for me. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) Bye, guys.